Well, if the children are going to Sunday school, I'd like to go out with their teachers. The rest of us can open our Bibles to Psalm 100. We began our service with this psalm, and it's this psalm that I want us to spend a little time considering this morning. And I want to do so under the theme, the imperative of praise. The imperative of praise. Well, I'm quite sure there are some among us this morning who don't know what an imperative is. And I want us to, for a moment, go back to English lessons, uh, grammar, an imperative. What is an imperative? Well, according to the Oxford Dictionary, an imperative is this. It's denoting the mood of a verb that expresses a command or an exhortation, as in, come here. That is an imperative, a command. And we have in this psalm, Psalm 100, various commands, exhortations, imperatives that we might praise and worship God. We have four in the first half of this little psalm. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Serve the Lord. Come into his presence. And then verse 3, know that the Lord he is God. And then we have three in the second half. Verse four, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. This psalm is only five verses long. But we have seven exhortations, imperatives to praise and worship God. It's a psalm about honoring the Lord to praise him. I wonder if I was to ask you the question as you came in the door this morning, why are you alive today? What would your answer be? I'm sure there are all kinds of answers you could give, all kinds of purposes that you feel that you have in uh, your life. I wonder how many of us would have said, I live today to worship God. That's the purpose of my life. And such it is. Scripture would have us know that that is the purpose of the life of all his people. Why was it that Adam and Eve were made in the first place? They were made in order to worship God, and not only themselves, but they were to lead the whole of creation to be uh, worshipful toward the Lord. Why was it that Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden? It was because they failed to worship the Lord. Instead, they worshipped the devil and they honoured and obeyed him rather than their God. And of course, we see the importance of worship throughout the whole of the scriptures. Israel, they were rescued, weren't they, out of the land of Egypt. Why did God save this particular people, Israel? He saved them in order that they might worship. Right after they come out of the land of Egypt, where do they go? They go to Mount Sinai. And God gives them his instructions on how they are to worship him. And why is it then, time and time again, that we read in the narratives in the Old Testament that Israel are overrun by their enemies and are overcome and banished and exiled? 
It's because they failed to worship God as he desired. They started worshiping their idols instead of worshiping the Lord. Worship. Why was it that the people needed prophets? Well, the prophets were given to remind them of who they're to worship and how they're to worship. Why did the people need priests? Well, the priests were there to help them in the worship of God. And why did God give them kings? Well, he gave them in order to implement and encourage worship. And again, you see an interesting link between the kings and the worship uh, as you read through the books of, of Kings and Chronicles of how the kings that were good were the kings that encouraged the worship of the Lord. And when the king was bad and allowed pagan worship to succeed, well, God allowed their enemies to overcome them. Well, we see then the great importance of the coming of the Lord Jesus, don't we? Jesus is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. And he came in order to save us so that we might worship the Lord. And we know that. Because as we mentioned, right at the beginning of Scripture, God made Adam and Eve to worship him. And right at the end of Scripture, in the book of Revelation, we have another book that's all about worship. And every vision we have of heaven, as John gives us, we see it as a place of worship. God's intention for gathering a people together to himself is so that there will be a throng of people who will worship him as he desires. You see, then, worship is so important. And it should be no surprise to us then that the book right in the middle of our Bibles, the book of Psalms, is a book all about worship. A book on how we may worship the Lord. Songs and hymns about how we may praise his name. And so then we have this psalm, Psalm 100. A psalm that is here to encourage us, to exhort us, to remind us of the importance of worship. And also, as we shall see, the manner of worship. I hope we understand how important then it is that we study this, that we understand these things. Because when we worship God wrongly, there are great consequences. Can you read in the Old Testament when God's people worshipped him wrongly, there were big consequences. Think of Nadab and Abihu who offered strange fire to God and God struck them down dead. Worship is so important. And there's two particular elements then that I want us to understand from this psalm that the psalmist wants us to grasp on how we are to worship the Lord. Two things. Firstly, joy. We are to joyfully praise the Lord. And also, thankfulness. So firstly, let's consider then joyful praise. Joyful praise. We see, don't we, that there is a command here to do this as we note it commands to bring joyful praise to the Lord. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with uh, singing. Three commands here which explain to us how we are to express joyful praise to him. We're to shout for joy, he tells us here. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. I'm sure we've all had the experience of Uh, hearing some news or receiving some uh, good thing that makes us just bubble up within with with joy. We just can't keep it uh, in us. Uh, We had some uh, wonderful news. Uh, My mum was telling me this um, uh, just uh, this past week uh, in the church there in Dudley. Uh, A dear brother has been suffering with cancer uh, for a long time and it had been a matter of prayer for, for many, many months. 
Then the news came that he had the all clear. And when it was announced at, at the Thursday Bible study, well, people couldn't help themselves. There was a joyful noise as, as people were, were rejoicing in this wonderful news, this great answer uh, to prayer. Can't keep it in. Well, that's the kind of picture we've got here. This desire to worship God is just something we can't hold to ourselves. We just have to burst out with thankful, joyful praise to uh, the Lord. God is not to be worshipped quietly. God is worthy to be proclaimed and honored before all. And notice the invitation here. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Not just the people of Israel, as they were prone to think, very insular. No, the Lord reminds them, you are to be a witness to the whole earth that I am a God worthy to be praised. I want all to come and worship me. See then, this joy is to be a shared joy. This is not something to keep to ourselves. This is something to proclaim. Our worship of God is something that is to be known by all. And the more that we share this with others, and the more others come to join us in the praise of God, the more he's worshipped, and the more we are able to rejoice. And so let's not be ashamed then to be a praising people. Let's not be ashamed to be vocal about our worship of the true and living God. Let me ask you this morning, are you so amazed at God that you're desperate for other people to know? Do we shout for joy? Do we make a joyful noise? We're also to serve with joy. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve him with gladness. See, worship is a kind of service. It is a kind of work. We see this language used in Exodus and chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, we read of this very truth. Uh, God speaks to Moses in these words. Exodus 3 verse 12. But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you, When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God is predicting what's going to happen. He's going to bring his people out of Egypt. For what purpose? For worship. And God calls it service. Service on that mountain, Mount Sinai. This then is our foremost work. The worship of God. And it's to be done with gladness. We don't usually think of work as a very happy thing, do we? Monday morning. Oh, got to get out of bed. Got to go and do my studies. Got to go to my place of work. Oh, got a whole week before me. This work is a joyful work. This is a work that, that fills us with gladness. To worship God. Yes, I want to do that, says the psalmist. And you should too. Now, this first and foremostly applies, doesn't it, to acts of worship. When we come together to worship God, what we're doing here this morning is is a kind of work. We are serving the Lord as we worship him together. But this principle surely extends, doesn't it, to every part of our whole lives. Again, if I take you back to Mount Sinai and the laws that were given by God, they governed so many aspects of the Israelites' lives. And it was... Uh, so that they might live in a worshipful way toward God in the way that they served one another 
in every single day and in everything that they did and in everything that they said. Worship is to ooze out of everything we do. It's to be found in, in every part of every day. We're serving the Lord. That means then that we must do our jobs joyfully. We're not to be moping servants who go around with glum faces. Oh, I've got to do this. Oh, I've got to do that. But we serve joyfully and with gladness. The Lord has given me this to do and I thank him for it and I'm going to do it with a glad heart. Of course, above everything, we're to do that for one another. The Lord is worshipped when we serve one another with joy. And we see this in Philippians in chapter 2 as Paul writes to these Christians and As I'm sure you already know, Philippians is a book that's all about uh, joy. He wants this people to be a joyful people. He wants them to rejoice in the Lord. He says that multiple times. And he also wants them to rejoice in one another and even in him and his service to them. Paul says this in Philippians 2 verse 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is saying, in my sufferings for your sake, I'm glad. And you ought to be glad too in the way that I am serving God. Notice he even uses worship language. He's being poured out as a drink offering, as a sacrifice takes that Old Testament language and says, what I'm doing for you is a means of rejoicing because I'm serving you. And such then we ought to do for one another. There ought to be that sacrificial love for one another that's a cause of joy in the company of God's people. And so then let me ask you this morning, how are you serving your brothers and sisters? How are you serving the church? If you can't think of anything this morning, then you're missing out. You're missing out on the joyful service of the Lord. You're lessening your own joy, and you're also lessening the joy of those around you. Find opportunities to serve in the church. If you're not already serving, Find some way that you might do good. Be a blessing to your brothers and sisters. And if you are already serving in some way, are you doing it with joy? Are you seeking to to bless your brothers and sisters with a joyful spirit? As many of you know, my time with you is uh, limited now to just a week. Somewhat sorrowful, I know. But it's been such a blessing to serve each and every one of you over my time here. Uh, But studying this psalm was cause for reflection, and I was thinking, well, have I really served them with joy? And I confess, I don't think I always have. And I trust you forgive me for that, and I know the Lord will forgive me as well. We're to serve with joy. We're to do with gladness, and I, I hope that you desire to do that as well. Serve the Lord with gladness. It should never be hard to serve the Lord. Doesn't Jesus say that his yoke is easy? His burden is light? To do something for the Lord, which may be doing something for one another, should not be a difficult thing. 
that's the problem, isn't it? We, we become over, overly familiar uh, with, with one another. We become over, overly familiar with the gospel. These things become dry and old and cold to us. But there should be a thrill in the gospel and a thrill then to serve him. I wonder if we have that. Do we serve with gladness? And then we're also to sing with joy. Shout with joy. Now we're to serve with joy. We're to sing with joy. Come into his presence with singing. Use of our mouths. Again, the importance of speech in praising God. Note that these imperatives we have here are all in the plural. This is not you individual over there. You praise God and you sing and you over there. No, this is all of you together. You are to be coming into his presence with singing. He's not encouraging us toward shower time singing. I'm sure there are some of us here who are disturbers of the peace uh, when we have uh, a shower. Uh, This is a singing that is congregational. We're coming together to sing, to worship God. Was a reminder, isn't it, that there are specific times to worship God. Yes, we worship him privately in a sense. We worship him every day as we just considered serving him. But there are particular times where we consciously and congregationally worship the Lord. And of course, in the Old Testament, that was going to the temple and bringing sacrifices. And you remember how David divided the Levites into various groups, singing groups, so that there was that worshipful praise when God's people came together to the temple. And these psalms would have been sung at such a time. Of course, here we are in the New Testament, and the equivalent is what we're doing here this morning. We're gathering together as God's people in order that we might sing to his praise. And we've already been doing that, haven't we, uh, this morning. It's good to be able to sing uh, together. Something that's somewhat unique, I think, about Christianity. No other religion has congregational singing to worship uh, God. And doesn't Paul say in Colossians 3 verse 16 that this is something we're to continue doing, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. See these commands then. We are to worship God together and to do so with joy. But why, you say, what's the cause for these commands to praise God? Seems a rather strange thing, doesn't it? We're being told to be joyful. That doesn't seem to make much sense, does it? We usually think of joy as something that we we feel in ourselves. I feel joyful today or I feel sad uh, today. You see, this is not something that we feel in and of ourselves. This is not a, 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 a sense of what we're thinking of us. This is raising our eyes upwards to think of the Lord. This is how we ought to feel about God, not how we feel about ourselves. And because God is unchanging in who he is and what he's done, there is never a time that we cannot be joyful in the Lord. There may be times when we're struggling spiritually. There may be times where we we face sad circumstances in our lives. But because God is the same, we can ever have that current of joy in our hearts and who he is. And so we see then this fourth imperative. Verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. 
It introduces these reasons that are given that we ought to be joyful in our praise. Know the Lord. If we know him, we will be joyful. The more we understand the reasons, the more we're filled with joy. Truths are, a, are catalysts for joy. Using some big words this morning. What is a catalyst? Well, again, let's go back to our science class, shall we? During the experiment. What is a catalyst? Well, in a scientific way, it's this. It's a substance that increases the rate of a chemical reaction without itself undergoing any permanent chemical change. So it speeds up a reaction, causes an explosion or big bubbling uh, because it speeds up that reaction. Well, that's what we have here. It, it's, to know these truths about God is to speed up, as it were, the reaction of joy in our hearts. And the great thing is, that the uh, illustration continues, doesn't it? Because this is a substance which, which doesn't change itself, and such it is with these truths about God. Truths that are unchanging and that bring us joy. Well, what are they? Well, again, verse 3, it is he who has made us and we are his. Here's the first truth. God is our maker. God is our maker. Now, some translations have it as he who made us and not we ourselves. Some manuscripts have a slightly different uh, translation there, uh, a slightly different uh, wording there. Uh, But... uh, It both amounts to the same thing. If he's made us, then we haven't made ourselves. If he's made us, then we belong to him. And so we are to be joyful in the fact that God has made us. He's the creator. Well, how does that give us joy then, we ask? It's this. God is the God of life. He's the God who cares for us. Having made us, he's concerned to maintain us day in and day out. God doesn't treat us like the pet that someone receives at Christmas. You know, the, the, the dog that's given to somebody and they love it for a week and then they don't want it anymore. God doesn't treat us in that way. No, he's birthed us and he tends to us. He loves us. Jesus talks about this, doesn't he? He talks about how God knows the, the sparrows fall to the ground. He knows how many hairs are upon our head. God is the one who clothes the lilies of the fields. Only the Christian really can find joy in these material blessings because we know God is our maker. And we're thankful that he takes care of our physical lives day by day. There's reason for joy. But more than that, we rejoice in him as our shepherd. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. God owns us, not only as his creatures, but if we belong to him as believers this morning, he owns us as his sheep. Knowing God as creator, well, that's true of every single person in the world. God owns every person in that way. But but in terms of being their shepherd, this is unique to the believer. I think something of the imagery is lost today. The shepherd and his sheep. (laughs) I don't know if we've got any sheep farmers in our congregation this morning. But the picture that's here is not the kind of picture that we maybe have. Uh, thousands of sheep that are being industrially farmed for their, for their wool. No, this is a shepherd who knows by name every single one of his flock. 
That's how it was in the Middle East. In fact, I, I understand that there are still some shepherds who work in the same way. They, they actually have a name for all of their sheep and they'll, they'll call out a name and, and that sheep will, will come to the shepherd because of that name that's called out. They know his voice and, and of course we see, don't we, that picture then in John chapter 10 as we read earlier. The sheep don't recognize the voice of the stranger but they do recognize the voice of the shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's because... Christ has taken us to be his own. This is an ownership beyond simply being his creatures. This is becoming his beloved people because of his great act of dying upon the cross. The shepherd has so loved his sheep, he's died for them. We indeed were lost sheep. And Jesus gives that parable, doesn't he, of the sheep that's wandered off and the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes out and rescues that sheep. We are those lost sheep. Christ has come out to save us, to rescue us, to bring us into the fold. And it's interesting, in that parable, we read of how there's rejoicing over that sheep that is saved. There's been rejoicing over heaven, over our salvation. And so when others are saved, well, ought there not to be great rejoicing among God's people? Such is the love of God. He saves unworthy sinners such as ourselves. And God and God alone, the Lord of heaven, could do this. So he alone is worthy of praise. There is no other God that is the creator. There is no other God who is a savior and redeemer. It is our God alone. And are these not then reasons to be joyful this morning and to worship him? Joyful praise but also thankful praise. Verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Again, we have these commands that are given to us. We are to worship the Lord and to do so with this particular element of thanksgiving. And to do this, we're told that we have to draw near. He says, enter his gates. We're to enter into his courts. Now, the gates perhaps signify coming into the city of Jerusalem. Enter into the city gates. And then the courts. Enter into the, the temple courts to worship the Lord. We're to come into his presence consciously. This reminds us then, doesn't it, again, of the importance of being among God's people. Of coming near. You see, God is everywhere, and we can know God's nearness at all times. But as we mentioned before, there are particular times where we come to worship the Lord. This is the exhortation here. Why are we told to enter His gates? Well, there are times where we're outside of His gates. And that's why the Lord's Day is such a blessing. We come together to worship the Lord, to bring our thankful praise. This is the exhortation that's given in. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, and I want you to note uh, uh, the link that the, the writer is making. In Hebrews chapter 10 from verse 19, let me read you a few verses. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day 
drawing near. Do you see the link that he's making there? There is a drawing near to God by the Lord Jesus Christ. We're coming into his presence. But we're doing that as we come together as God's people. As we're meeting with one another. And we're to be exhorting one another then. Particularly as we see Christ's coming drawing near. Well, would you permit me a parting, as it were, a parting exhortation uh, to you. Make use of every opportunity you can to draw near to the Lord. We have a joyful opportunity, don't we, this morning to meet with God's people. But we have another meeting this evening, did you know? We have another meeting to joyfully and thankfully meet together with God's people. And we want to be sure if we're missing out, there have got to be good reasons that we're missing out on the company of God's people. Because praising God is such a wonderful thing. Of course we have here, don't we? We have to remember, this is a, this is a command, isn't it? This is an exhortation. God wants worshippers. He wants his people to come together to worship him. He wants them to make this a priority, to take every opportunity there might be. Well, indeed, we may indeed have good reasons that we can't be here every opportunity that we meet together. But let's make sure they are good reasons that we can't be here. Is there anything that we can think of that can be better than praising and worshipping our God? That's what he wants from us. And so I exhort you in that way. And when we do come, do we come thankful? Do we come thankful? The true worship is not a complaining and grumbling worship. When we're invited to a birthday party, I'm sure we make sure that we take something with us, whether it's a, a gift or even if it's just a card. We take something for the person who, who's got their birthday and who's invited you. Or well, so it should be when we come through at those doors. We want to come, don't we, to worship God with gifts in our hand for the Lord. We don't want to come empty-handed. We come with a thankful spirit. Praising him for all his goodness to us throughout the past week. I'm sure if we were to go around this room this morning, if there were time, and to say, how has the Lord been good to you this past week? I'm sure we could all come out with a multitude of things. The Lord has helped me in this way. The Lord provided for me in this way. Well, might we be encouraged to think upon those things even before we come together to worship him so that we've got that thankful spirit when we come to worship him. Here then is the command to praise him with thankfulness, to enter in, to come near. But we have good reason for it, don't we? To be thankful. Again, there are reasons given to us. Verse 5, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. For the Lord is good. God's goodness is a reason for us to be thankful as his people this morning. The Lord is good. This is who he is, in and of himself. He is good. Good in every sense. He's righteous. He's true. He's kind. God never deceives. God never despises us. God will never act unkindly or unfairly toward us. His character is one of justice. And so then we do not need to fear God as a tyrant. We know him as a loving heavenly father. And we see that, don't we, in Matthew chapter 6 
Uh, Jesus wants us to understand this of God. God is not somebody who we need to, need to sort of twist his arm to say, Lord, I really need this. And we, we have to sort of really work hard to get his attention. No. He loves us. He loves us more than an earthly father or a parent could ever love us. Matthew 6, from verse 9, he says this. Sorry, I'm coming from verse 9. Uh, he says in verse, well, in verse 30, he says this, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, uh, O you of little uh, faith? And then that's it in verse, uh, chapter 7. I've got my chapter wrong. Chapter 7 and verse 9. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? So an earthly father, if you ask an earthly father, he's not going to, Give his son a, a stone instead of bread? Or if he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent? Of course not. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? We have a heavenly Father who is good and he gives us good things. Well, we ought to be thankful for every good gift that God gives us, especially the Holy Spirit who helps us to worship him as pleases him. Because everything he grants to us, and even every circumstance he gives to us. It's a fellow seminary student who I think said something helpful in one morning worship. Uh, he was mentioning to us that we can say in every circumstance, I don't understand why God has permitted this, but I know it's not a snake. It's not a snake. It can't be because God is good. And he only ever gives good things. He's not only good, but he's love. His steadfast love endures forever. He has this warm affection for his sheep. His covenant delight in his children. This speaks to us of his unconditional love. When we fail, when we sin, when we, we trip up and stumble, when we don't worship the Lord as we should, and yet his love remains steadfast toward us. The, his embrace of our hearts never lets go. Yes, undeserving and sinful creatures as we are, God loves us. He even loved us before the foundation of the world. He chose us in Christ. And his love will never let us go. It endures forever. And what then of his faithfulness? Look at that. It, it endures to, to all generations. God is loyal. And this is linked to his love. He doesn't give up on his people. There's never a generation without true worshipers. Generations come. Generations go. But God always provides in every period of time worshipers for his name. Again, I had cause to think in the little time I have left with you, soon to be leaving you. Here's the truth. God is not leaving you. God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And of course, it's very much my prayer for you that God will raise up others to serve in this uh, congregation. And such he will, because he's faithful. He's faithful. And even when our own individual lives seem to be just falling apart, everything's just going to pieces, we're building, we must remember, upon a rock that cannot move. And he's there for us, holding us, sustaining us, guiding us safely home. We have reason to be thankful this morning. We have such a God. 
And there shouldn't all our thanks be focused on the Lord Jesus. He is our good shepherd. He is our loving savior. He is our faithful friend. He's saved us. He's given us eternal life. And just one thought of Jesus ought to be like that gust of wind that carries us up. Praise, joyful and thankful for all that he's done for us. Of course, the first question we have then to answer is this. Are we worshipers? Are you a worshiper this morning? You can only be a true worshiper of God if you know Jesus as your Savior. Have you trusted in him? If you turn from your sin, if you turn from the idols of the world, if you determine that the Lord, he is the one that you will know, he is the one that you will serve, and know that he has served you first in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you will only turn to him and trust in him. If you are a worshiper here this morning, are we worshiping him with joy and thanks? We only need, don't we, to think more of Christ. Know more of him. Know the Lord. He is God. Know Christ. He is our Lord. Meditate upon him that we might praise him better. And of course, we all look forward to the day, don't we, when we will be helped to praise him forever and ever. There'll be no sin tainting our worship. We will see him face to face. And we will bring our joy and thankful praise to him forever and ever. Well, may God bless his word to our hearts. We'll close this part of our service by singing 231 and then we'll come around at the Lord's table. 231. I don't know if this is a hymn that we're particularly familiar with. Um, I think Grace will play the tune through first. Um, But it's a hymn that really reflects on what we've been learning about. Sweet is the work, my God, my King, to praise your name, give thanks and sing, to show your love by morning light and talk of all your truth at night. What a sweet work it is to worship at the Lord. So let's stand, shall we, together as we sing 231.